the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so his parents here acquiesce, but what we find out is that when it says that this was of the Lord, it doesn't mean that God designed this, but what it means is God is going to take advantage of it. And that even, again, in our weaknesses and in our poor choices and in our bad decisions, God is sovereign enough that he can redirect things and use even our bad decisions for his glory. God can always use you wherever you are. Whatever he wants for you, it will be done. It's pleasing to God when your heart is seeking him and you're growing in your relationship with him. And you'll see him work through you more and more the closer you grow to him. Pastor Gary is going to encourage you today that even if you stumble in sin and mess up, God can still use you. It hurts him when you turn against him, but he is all-powerful. He can still use you and make you new in him again. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Judges chapter 14, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Judges 14. If you're watching online, we welcome you as well. And we're going to be in the 14th chapter of Judges. We left off in the middle of the story of Samson. So we are looking at the last of the 12 judges mentioned in the book of Judges. There's still a couple more that we will see in the book of 1 Samuel, but... Samson is the 12th. He's the last of the 12 in the book of Judges. He is a very complicated man in more ways than one. In addition to being the last of the judges, he's probably the most familiar of them. And he is, as most people know, if you're familiar at all with his story, if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard stories about Samson, that he was very physically strong, although he was very morally weak. He had a uh, particular appetite for women and particularly Philistine women who were pagan women. They didn't worship God and for prostitutes. So this is what makes this man very complicated in many ways. By the way, you know, growing up, I'm going to date myself, but when our Sunday school teachers as a kid would talk about Samson and they would use those felt boards. How many of you remember felt boards? Okay. So some of you are old enough to remember. Others of you are like, felt boards? Yeah, this is before Prometheus boards. This is before PowerPoint. They had like little stick paper figures and a flannel fabric board on like a stand, and then they would put the little figures there and move them around. And that was our technology back in the day, okay? You've come a long way. But anyway, 
I always remember, and it's typical in children's Bibles even still today, that Samson is portrayed as a very buff guy. He's ripped, he's shredded, he's just been in the gym most of his life, and that's what he looks like. But the fact is, we don't know that about him. And it is likely that he actually was not all that different from other men of his day. It wasn't like he had this super strength because he had this great physique. He had this super strength because it was given to him by God. And when he neglected his walk with God, it was taken away just as quickly. Because when we get later to the story of Delilah, she begs him for the secret of his strength. Now, if you looked all that jacked up, you know, nobody would have to ask you, what is the secret of your strength? So it's likely this guy wasn't anything different to look at. And yet he had this supernatural strength, so he was physically strong. But again, he was morally weak, and he was also spiritually weak. There's no mention of him ever building an altar. He's fiercely independent. There's no mention of an army. You know, typically when these judges would be raised up, there would be an army with them. There's no army. He has no friends. He's very much a loner. And he lives a very courageous life doing a lot of courageous things for God. But he will die a very humiliating death. And it all has to do with his own personal moral weakness that will come back at the end of his life to really ultimately bring him down. So for all those reasons, that's why I say that he is a very complicated man. However, he is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hebrew Hall of Faith for doing many valiant things for the Lord. So he's commended in that way. So it's very interesting how God will use, you know, very imperfect people to accomplish his perfect work. And Samson is one of those imperfect, complicated sinful guys, and yet, you know, God still sovereignly will use him to accomplish God's purposes and then gives him an honorable mention in Hebrews chapter 11. And there are a lot of people like that in the Bible. You look at the life of David. You know, he committed adultery and he was the accessory to murder and coveted three out of the Ten Commandments just in that one event with Bathsheba. And yet the Bible says about him, he was a man after God's heart. And one of the things we have to keep in mind that distinguishes people from just your average run-of-the-mill sinner and your average run-of-the-mill sinner who has a heart for God is that that individual who has a heart for God is quick to feel convicted about his or her sin and then is quick to repent before God. It's not that any of us is going to be righteous enough so that God can then use the purest vessels. I mean, certainly that should be our desire to please God as righteous vessels that he can use. But there was only one righteous one who ever lived, and he's the one who died, and that's Jesus. And so then God will sort through all the unrighteousness of humanity to still accomplish his purposes. And Samson is one of these guys. He's very flawed in many ways. He's very troublesome in many ways. He's a very conflicted man, very duplicitous man. There's a constant war waging in this guy, and he dies miserably, but he still is valiant in many things that he does for the glory of God. I have to remind us of this because it has everything to do with his life. Samson was born under a Nazarite vow that his mother took, and that was in obedience to what the angel of the Lord said to his mother when 
she conceived Samson. And so just wanted to remind us again, because this plays out in his life, a Nazarite is one who took a vow of separation from the world and dedication to God. And it was outlined in Numbers chapter 6, and there were three basic characteristics of one who voluntarily took a Nazarite vow. And these were the three. There was to be no eating or drinking anything from the grapevine. That included, obviously, wine, grapes, grape juice, raisins, nothing from the grapevine. That was primarily because there was to be no potential for intoxication. So it had mainly to do with things fermented on the vine, but to cover everything, it just was like everything on the vine, not just the fermented stuff, but everything. No grapes, raisins, nothing. So that was one thing, not to be intoxicated, to be sober of mind and soul before God. The second thing there was no cutting of the hair, and this was not anything magical. It was just that was the sign that you were under a Nazarite vow. Because when you broke the Nazarite vow, because again, it was voluntary, and even though in the Bible it doesn't say how long one needed to take it, the Jewish Midrash, which is a commentary on Old Testament law, said typically 30, 60, 90, maybe 100 days, when you would end your voluntary Nazarite vow, that's when you would cut your hair, and then it would be this token like you're done with your Nazarite vow. In the case of Samson, however, it was to be a lifetime vow that he was living under, so he was never to cut his hair. And so, you know, you have to, you know, begin to imagine this guy is, you know, living under this vow. He's got, you know, long flowing hair, you know, rich, dark, raven black hair because he's Middle Eastern and he's got it tied up in a man bun. So that's the picture that I have anyway of the guy. And not all that buff, remember, but perhaps, who knows. And then the last one was no contact with any dead body because there was to be no contamination. So it really touched on all these aspects of being separate from the world and dedicated unto God. No intoxication, no contamination. You couldn't even go to a loved one's funeral because you couldn't be around their dead body. And what we're going to see, though, in the course of his life is that he violates some of these things. Or at least he gets very dangerously close to compromising them. And so... Here's where we left off. Let me summarize because we're going to pick it up in verse 12. But let me summarize where we left off. One of his weaknesses was a weakness for women, in particular Philistine women, who were enemies of God. The Philistines were perennial enemies of the Israelites. They were enemies of God. They worshipped foreign gods. They did not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But these are the women that Samson is attracted to. And at the beginning of chapter 14, he says to his mom and dad, I have found a Philistine woman, and I want you to get her for me. Get her for me. Now, you have to remember, in that culture, the parents arrange marriages. That's why he turns to his parents and, say, and says, get her for me, instead of just going on Tinder. What a mess. But anyway, they say to him, why do you want a Philistine woman? You could have any woman of our own people. They question him. But they go ahead and arrange it anyway. So they reluctantly make arrangements for him to marry this Philistine woman that he has an eye for. And it tells us back in verse 4, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion, that he, God, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so his parents here acquiesce, but what we find out is that When it says that this was of the Lord, it doesn't mean that God designed this, but what it means is God is going to take advantage of it. And that even, again, in our weaknesses and in our poor choices and in our bad decisions, God is sovereign enough that he can redirect things and use even our bad decisions for his glory. And because God was fighting on behalf of the Israelites, and Samson is the judge who's been raised up for this hour, 
but that Samson is going after a Philistine woman, when it says there in verse 4 that this was from the Lord, this was of the Lord, he's not condoning this. God is simply going to, okay, Samson, you're going to go down that path, and I'm going to use this situation to accomplish my purposes, and in the end, it's going to cause some Philistines here to die, and God's going to use it as a weapon But it's not because he's endorsing it. It's because he's using it in his sovereignty to take advantage of the situation. And so they're on their way to Timnah. Timnah is a Philistine city. This is where this woman is. So mom and dad and Samson on their way to Timnah. The Bible says that Samson kind of drifts off the path, leaves mom and dad walking on the path. He goes down into a vineyard. Not a good thing. Why? Because you're not supposed to take anything of the grapevine. So why are you dancing near a vineyard? Okay? This is like an alcoholic in a 12-step program going to a bar. I'm just going for seltzer and lemon. Okay, well, that's a dangerous thing. Like, you don't want to be doing that. So there he is right there. He's pressing the envelope. I'm going to go down into the vineyard, see what's down there. Well, while he's, he has no business being in the vineyards. But while he's in there, a lion attacks him. And the Bible says that he fights the lion and rips it apart like a phone book. Just like, you know, and just like rips the lion apart and leaves it for dead. Gets back up in the path of mom and dad. And they're like, where you been, son? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. He doesn't want to tell him. He's not going to tell him because he's been around vineyards. He's playing with fire and he's been around a dead body. He killed a lion. So he's around a dead body. So he's compromising. Off to Timnah they go. It says that on the way back home, he visits that carcass, the lion carcass. I don't know why, just like fascination. Like, let me go see what it looks like now after a while, you know. And and he's a guy. Guys like to look at this kind of thing. And so off the back of the vineyard he goes, and he finds the carcass. And what has taken over the inside of this carcass are bees, honeybees. They have made a a hive in there. And, And so they're producing honey. And so he sees this, and he reaches in, and he takes some of the honey, and he eats it. And he gives some, goes back up on the path, gives it to mom and dad. Doesn't tell them again where he got it. They don't want to know. It's inside the rotting flesh of a lion. That's where I got this sweet honey. But boy, what a picture it paints, doesn't it? Because here's a guy who's trying to extract something sweet from something corrupt. It is the problem a lot of us have. Try to get something really delicious out of something that is off limits. And it has destroyed a lot of people. What Samson is trying to do is he's mixing the sacred with the profane. He's compromising his sacred life, and he's mixing it with things that are profane. He's supposed to remove himself from the temptations of the world. But there he is in a vineyard with a dead body, a carcass of an animal, scooping something sweet out from inside something corrupt. You know, honey and maggots don't mix, and neither does the sacred and the profane. You know the word profane comes from two Latin words, profanum. Pro meaning before or outside, and phanum is the Latin word for temple. That which is in the temple is sacred. That which is outside of the temple is profanum, profane. When we live our lives in the sacred for the glory of God, we're honoring him, we're pleasing him, we're doing what is right. When we live our lives, so to speak, outside the temple, when we profane ourselves, profanum, Because we're indulging in things of the flesh or things of the world to satisfy that temporary sweetness. That sweet tooth gets a lot of people in trouble. And if nothing else, let Samson's life be a warning for you. If you're playing with fire, let Samson's life be a warning. It's too dangerous. Stop scooping out sweet things from things that are profane because they don't mix. And if you've already fallen, you've already done that, then, you know, Samson's life is also a life of redemption in the sense that, 
you know, God is still using him. And God isn't like done with us just because we sin against him. There is redemption. But may his life serve to be a reminder to us. This is dangerous what he's doing here. So he's back at this feast for his bride. Now, again, in that culture, you would typically have a seven-day feast as part of the wedding ceremony. And then you would consummate it. The husband and wife would consummate it at the end of the seven days. So what we're going to see here is that it appears that he is in the feast part of the ceremony with family and friends, but he never consummates the marriage with this Philistine woman. And we're going to see here because what happens is he never even gets to be with her. And there's a very kind of very sad thing what happens here. But when he's at this bachelor party with 30 of the guys from Timnah. So these are all Philistine guys. Now he's a Hebrew. Samson's a Hebrew. He's supposed to be following God, but because he wants to marry the Philistine woman, he's now, you know, hanging out with these Philistine guys. And it tells us in verse 10 that his father went down to the woman and Samson gave at least a feast there for young men used to do so. They still do. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So these are 30 guys that are hanging out. They're having a bachelor party. And the language here is this particular kind of feast. This is a drinking party. I mean, these guys are they're three sheets to the wind. And they're like, hey, it's a bachelor party. Come on, let's live it up. And so this is what they're doing here. Now, verse 12, this is where we left off. This is chapter 14, verse 12. Then Samson said to them, so he's saying to these 30 buddies who are there at this bachelor party, he goes, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, that's how long the feast would go, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. These are fine, you know, three-piece tailored suits. That's what he's saying to them. He's like, I'm going to give you a riddle, all 30 of you, and if you can solve the riddle... I'll buy you all brand new suits. What do you think? But, he says, if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day, that they said to Samson's wife, okay, now, she's called a wife even if they haven't consummated it. Because in that culture, when you have the ceremony, you exchange vows. The dowry is exchanged. The bride price, the father pays to the father of the bride. You're considered married even though you haven't consummated it. So that terminology is why she's called a wife. So they haven't finished the feast, but look what happens. These guys, on the seventh day, they came to Samson's wife. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Well, that's not a great option, is it? It's like, you know, go find out the secret of the riddle. We're going to kill you and your father. We're going to burn your house down. So, you know, not really good neighbors, wouldn't you say? These are not good neighbors. You know, what happened to the yard sign? It's like love conquers all or whatever, you know. But anyway, so here they are. And these are her own fellow townsmen. She's a Philistine. These are the Philistine guys. Tell us, or we're going to burn your house down. And they add, have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? In other words, is this riddle just to make fools out of us? And so it says, then Samson's wife, verse 16, then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. 
Okay? Now, I, I know this is so detached from where any of you live in your lives. The idea that a wife would ever cry to her husband, but here she is. And I just like the new King James. She wept on him. She's like crying all over him. She's weeping all over him. You don't love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. You only hate me. You've told this riddle. You haven't explained it. Look at what he says to her. This guy needs a crash course in counseling right here. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? What? Now, verse 17, does that help? No, because look, verse 17, the waterworks just intensify. Now she had wept on him the seven days, seven long days. She's crying. She's crying. Ladies, sometimes, I just got to tell you, sometimes your husband, they don't understand. We don't understand. We don't understand the tears. We don't understand it. And for seven long days, that's not fair. That's just not even fair. And look what happens. She wept the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her. Because she pressed him so much. Some translations say he was worn out by her nagging. Okay? She pressed him so much. Then she explained. So he tells her. And then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. Here's the answer to the riddle. What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Now, look, he made up a riddle about his own encounter of killing the lion and how bees made honey in the carcass of the lion. So he makes up this riddle, try to figure out this whole thing. And then he tells his wife, because she'd been crying for seven long days, so he said, fine already, I'll tell you, stop crying. And so he tells her, and, which always helps when you say to her, stop crying. It all, that's always a wonderful, boy, to get quiet in here. I'm kidding, right? I'm kidding. <laughs> and so she tells her fellow, you know, Philistine guys. And the whole riddle was about the lion carcass and the honey. Now, oh, yve, it gets worse. Look, he said to them, so he's mad now. He's mad. He's mad that she told them. He's mad that he felt worn down and to tell her. And so look, he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. What? (laughs) What did you just call her? Now, some of you might be thinking as I did, maybe this is just some kind of a weird Hebrew expression. Maybe behind the original language, it really meant something else like sweet calf. I'm here to tell you, no. I looked it up, but it means just what it says. He's calling her a heifer. But it shows you his anger here. This is a bad chapter, isn't it? This is bad. And it says in verse 19, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon. Okay, now Ashkelon is a seaport city within the Philistine territory. He goes down about 23 miles southwest. So this is a little bit of a hike goes down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So he makes good on his promise, right? But in a very, very brutal way. Because he said to these guys, if you can solve my riddle, I'll give you the 30 of you, I'll give you each a brand new suit. They solve it, albeit through some manipulation with the wife and the wife telling the Philistine guys. So Samson's like, all right. 
Well, I promise you 30 suits, I'm going to make good on it. Goes down to Ashkelon, kills 30 Philistines of their own people, takes off their clothing off their back and brings it back to these guys. Here, here's your fine clothing. Our days are sometimes filled with nonstop movement, aren't they? The pastors, staff, and community here at Cornerstone Connection don't want you to miss out on nuggets of wisdom from God's Word. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can connect with us from anywhere. Interested in hearing more? Go to cornerstoneconnection.cc, where Pastor Gary Hamrick has more audio messages for you to tune into. Scroll down until you see the space that says Teaching Library. Once there, we've made it as simple as possible to search by topic, speaker, or book. We pray that you'll be uplifted and encouraged in your walk with Jesus. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to stop by. We have Sunday services at 8.30, 10, and 11.45. Is the middle of your week more free? Come join us on Wednesday evenings then at 7. Were you blessed by what you heard today? Would you consider donating some of your resources? If so, it's pretty simple. You can use our mobile app or click on the Give Now tab found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we look forward to our next time together right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.